everybody to Flyover Footy. My name is Matt Baker, joined as always with Santiago Beltran. We're here for another Flyover Fallout, and this time we're looking at the St. Louis City-Vancouver Whitecaps match. Another impressive performance by St. Louis, officially starting our second win streak of the season. Santi, how are you doing? Doing great, Matt. Start on, the start of another winning streak. Hopefully the team will continue it on Saturday against Houston Dynamo. But but hey, another win. The team taking advantage of playing at home. And it wasn't the most beautiful win. But hey, what counts is getting three points, you know? Three points off three goals. It wasn't the most beautiful win. There were some some work done in the trenches there in the second half, especially a talented Whitecaps team, a playoff positioning Whitecaps team as it stands right now. But I think we did a great job sticking to our principles that Carnell likes to allude to. And it all started with that starting 11. So we talked coming into the match how we figured, if anything, Johnny Nelson would slot back in at left back. Hebert would slide back to center back. Bartlett would go back to the bench. Bradley Carnell had a different thought in mind. He's, his quote post game says, I think this one was a bit of momentum. You know, we spoke about momentum. We spoke about energy. We spoke about our principles. And we felt that, yes, this did match up against us. We stayed in normally. We change up our defensive formation and then an offensive formation. But Santi, here, they stuck with the exact same lineup that they ran out against Sporting Kansas City. And it was the first time all season, 13 MLS matches, two Open Cup matches, that we saw the same starting 11 reused. What did you think about it? I like it. I like it. And that's what I was hoping for earlier in the week uh, when we talked and I said it, equipo ganador no se cambia. And I really was hoping for Carnell to stick with the same lineup. Obviously, we thought it was unlikely just because John Nelson was coming back from suspension. But when I saw the lineup, I was like, oh, my God, it's it, my my wish became true and uh, I was happy to see it and um, back to back wins with the same lineup. Can he, will he do it three times in a row? We'll, we'll I mean, at out. this point, at this point, you have to believe it, right? The only question that I had coming into it is Johnny Nelson, Lucas Bartlett, Kyle Hebert. How would that shake out? Thinking that Johnny Nelson hadn't done anything to lose a starting spot necessarily. But I think the words mm-hmm. he had on Kyle Hebert to me spoke more to the the importance of that cohesiveness, like we just said, but also adding to Kyle's repertoire. So he said after the game, I'm just assisting Kyle in his journey now as a first-year pro, right, in the MLS. And there's a lot that's happened to him over the last few months. And you first have to absorb that, acknowledge that, and take it in, and then get to the point of like, all right, I'm here to stay. And I think, to me, part of that here to stay is versatility in the back line. The only kind of thing that you really have as a fullback versus a center back that is a massive difference from a, a tactical perspective is our fullbacks move higher on the pitch. They're more attacking oriented at times in the game. And that's that's something that's never really been part of Hebert's game that we've seen so far. He's always been a center back with MSU, with City 2, and now he's branching out. The success that he's had in the past couple of games in branching out and putting himself into uh, positions higher up on the pitch and putting himself into some attacking-minded areas, I think seeing the success that he's had and how it hasn't impacted his defensive performance has been really notable to me. And if he can... He can include that in his versatility and his his toolbox there, especially when Joachim Nilsson comes back. We are going to have much more depth than even we thought was possible. 
Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. Uh, you kind of get him ready for when Joachim Nilsson comes back, like you're going to have a lot of center backs and having that versatility from Kyle Heaver playing as a left back or right back because we, he also had a, a cameo there yesterday. Um, obviously, that's good to add. And uh, the part of uh, going up and supporting the offense, uh, he's learning that. And with more minutes, more games, um, he's going to be a more complete uh, player. He can play center back, left left back, um, maybe right back too. So I like that. I like that. And I, I like that Carnell went with the same lineup um, just because Kyle Hewitt did a great job on the previous game. And we were talking like, oh, maybe 110 minutes of experience in that position is not enough. Hey, now he has 200 minutes. So uh, he keeps adding to that. That's right. And in two matches at left back, two wins, I, you know, we'll talk about it on our flyover footy show later this week, but I really don't think there's much of a chance we see of this lineup changing. Uh, it, it see a knee jerk reaction of all things, especially you just can't stop writing this kind of hot hand when it's so cohesive throughout the entire team. But before we get into that, let's, let's take a step back. Let's look at, at the teams coming into this. So before we get into the goals, especially, and some of the performances, let's look at how the team stacked up coming into it. So we knew that St. Louis had a 44% possession rate average prior to this. Vancouver had 51. The shots, they skewed higher towards Vancouver coming into this match, where St. Louis averaged a little over 12. Vancouver averaged 15 shots. The passing, we expected to have a mid-300s for St. Louis, mid-400s for Vancouver. St. Louis was a, a better team in duels, a team that fouled more often. And a lot of that we saw, I think, stay consistent in this match. So we'll talk about how the stats ended up, but knowing that stylistically, as we spoke to on flyover last week, it was a match that kind of St. Louis had in their favor. I think go, being successful the way that they were earlier in the year with the way that teams were uh, approaching them. It was really the individual performances that were the worrisome thing for St. Louis. Your Julian Gressel's, your Brian White's, your Sergio Cordova's. Honestly, though, the fixture congestion Vancouver had, I feel played in our, 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 our benefit here because they rotated a little bit in the beginning. You saw uh, Simon Betcher start. You saw a goalkeeper rotation, which we'll touch on in a little bit. But not having Brian White, especially early on, changed the face of the game from the get-go. And with the way St. Louis approached it, you saw some things that you were expecting to, but you also saw some, some individual players do some different things. So Jake Nerwinski in particular, he's always played a little higher up on the pitch, trying to get involved in the attack, but he was very high, very aggressive in this match. Um, the, the need to sub him out in the second half where he very clearly almost picked up a second yellow indicated that he, we knew he would have a lot of intensity, a lot of excitement going into this match against his former team that he played on for six years the only other mls team he's played for that drafted him so he did kind of what we expected him to do in that very high very aggressive role Celio pompeo was noteworthy to me and that on the left side in the attack he was very high very wide and an average position he was very much more high up on the field than nico joachini so interesting that he put himself in a very high and wide position but then you go back to some stalwarts from sporting kansas city your Jabulu Blome, your Edward Leuven, Indiana Vasilev, and Nico Joachini. 
basically snapshot images of what we saw their average positions against Sporting Kansas City. Blome was right there in front of the defense. He was he was dictating the flow of the game in that defensive midfield. Edward Leuven right there in the center, driving all of the things around him, that perfect box-to-box role. Indiana Vasilev and Nico Joachini were basically tied at the hip. They were playing off of each other so well in that attacking mid. And, and it speaks to the chemistry I think they're starting to develop where Carnell and, and the quotes after the game spoke to Indiana Vasilev and Edu Leuven's cohesiveness. I think the exact same can be said for Nico Joachini and Indiana Vasilev, where you're seeing some of those back heels. You're seeing some of those runs that Indiana Vasilev can make around Nico Joachini after Joachini receives the ball up top. So he's doing a better job still in this game of holding the line as he lets Vasilev move around him. Those were some of the the takeaways that I saw from our, our formations and the way that we played off of each other, what were some things that you saw? So to me, it was interesting the way Vancouver dominated at times. They have some passages where they had the ball for a long time and and were creating danger in, in City's area, in City's box. And the other thing that was very interesting to me is that Vancouver at times look the way city would look uh, they will press really high when when city was uh possessing the ball on their own half and um a couple of those resulted on um recover balls by vancouver that resulted in chances so it was interesting to see just like two teams going at each other with similar styles uh, and we said it it wasn't the most beautiful win by city but um city did enough and created some chances and obviously a stellar performance by Edward Leuven. Uh, and I think uh, Vancouver's goalkeeper, uh, Hassel, is going to dream. He's um, going to have Leuven in his dreams. Um, in his nightmares, more like it. For the, for the next few days. Yeah. 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 And, and Edward Leuven, Edu Leuven, so much can be said about his performance in this game. But as we shift into looking at the goals, one thing that I had as a takeaway is how he as an individual changed the complexion of the game and the way that Vancouver had to approach our buildups, uh, whether it was sending the ball long or playing the ball down on the ground. If there were some of those key passes or those shot creating actions being performed by Leuven especially, Knowing right off the bat at that 10 minute mark, what happened, everything after that, he garnered so much attention, so much respect from Hassel and from all of the other defenders on Vancouver, because they, they saw firsthand what he's capable of. And when you're able to prove yourself early on, it doesn't just get to Carnell's consistent comment of you score early, you force the opposition to change their game. But when you score early in that manner, then you're forcing the opposition to change how they defend an individual player. And an individual player such as Edu Leuven and his importance to this team and this style and offense, if you're forcing teams to change based off that one player, anything's possible for City. Yeah, great performance by Leuven. The other other thing uh, I wanted to mention uh, that I liked and that it hasn't been mentioned and maybe you don't see that on the stats um i really like what what lucas bartlett did yesterday he had a um there was one shot he blocked that um basically could have been a the tying goal 
on the first half and uh, he also had a lot of clearances uh, so I really like what he did and um, that will have will have not been possible if um, City had not used the same lineup he will he will have probably been the player going on the bench and then Kyle Heaver and and Tim Parker playing up as center backs but I really like what I saw from Lucas Bartlett yeah Lucas Bartlett we talked about his rise last week on flyover, but this performance, uh, it, it won't get a lot of glamor and glitz, but you're spot on. He led the team in clearances with nine. Our team had 35 total clearances and Lucas Bartlett had nine of them. Lucas Bartlett also had three interceptions, two blocks, including, like you said, that one block shot, his importance on being there with Tim Parker, who Tim Parker had six clearances of his own, Together, whether the ball's being played over the top, the ball's being played on the ground, they're putting themselves in these positions to just get rid of the junk in the box. And that's what you want your setter backs to do. That's what you need them to do. So the amount of clearances that they had that could easily have led to better scoring opportunities from Vancouver, you're talking double digits between the two of them. These guys did an amazing job at the center back role, even despite the one goal that Vancouver had, which I would attribute more to Gressel and White's overall individual talent as opposed to anything detrimental to Parker or uh, Bartlett. But these guys in the center back roles kept us in the game. They kept us alive. And Bartlett in particular, I think has played his way to a point where Hebert healthy or not Nelson fit or not, you'd feel comfortable with him as a center back role. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be a good problem to have for Bradley Carnell and his staff um, in a few weeks when Joachim Nielsen is back. Absolutely. So let's look at that first goal, the one that changed everything, the one that I think sent every fan at City Park off of their seats if they were in them. And it sent some people to the moon because of how amazing the shot was. Setting the stage 10 minutes into the game, nine minutes into the game when it started, the ball was played up to Indiana Vasilev on the left side. Vancouver cleared it out for a throw in. On the throw-in, it went short to Celio Pompeu. He passed it right behind himself to Indiana Vasilev, who drew a foul on the sideline from Sebastian Berhalter. When the foul was drawn, Leuven and Vasilev both stood over the ball. Leuven had a clear eye to goal from his right foot, and the way that he sent that ball in the air had so much English on it, it was like he was teaching the players a second language. That goal was scored in the top right of the far post, then the free kick had to have been 30 yards out at least. The call on the broadcast, on the Apple MLS Season Pass broadcast, is Leuven hit that one from the Mississippi River. Santi, no. Santi I, don't, I don't know what else we can say over that other than to hear what your call might have been on that, which I am dying to hear on that one and the, the second goal from Miggy Perez. I think I need that in my life for flyover. Yeah, yeah. We'll get to hear those later today. Um, I know as as we speak, I know the team is working on something related to uh, Miguel's goal. Uh, so Oh, the tease. So probably by the time you're listening to this podcast, um, that call will already be out there on social media but but yeah they i know they want to do something about miguel's goal and um at least that one will be out there and i will post uh, also luven's um yep. goal uh, tomorrow or later in the week but uh but yeah i i couldn't believe it i i was like i was like okay is he gonna is he gonna cross it is he gonna shoot and then he and as you said as you mentioned 
hit it from the Mississippi. Like um, it was really far away, and then you could you could see the ball curling, curling, and and the goalie couldn't make up his mind. And great goal. Um, yeah, the goalie probably made a mistake the way he he played it, but again. Luben said it on on his quote, which you can go ahead and 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 mention it. Um, that's something that he always does. Yeah, to the quote. The quote from Luven afterwards. I mean, I always like every single one from the left side wing. I always try to target the far post, and if no one touches it, still goes in. That's always my goal. And when the goalkeepers make one step, it goes over. And that's perfectly said by Edu Luven. So Santi, Luven scores. The game kind of changes a little bit. It gets a little chippier uh, at times. The physicality continues. A lot of fouls from both sides. We get to a point where we're kind of about to go into half. And this this plays to my point earlier about Leuven's goal, the way it was scored, changes how you, how you approach a player, changes how you defend a player. So as we fast forward to the second goal, right before halftime, 45 minutes, stoppage time starts, it wasn't just an own goal by Tristan Blackman. It was Edu Leuven taking the ball in the midfield after Tim Parker headed a ball away, intercepted the ball, gets it to Edu Leuven, who moves the ball up. Leuven has enough time to where everybody understands he has the ball in midfield. They know what he's capable of now. They know he can cross the ball wherever he wants to put the ball. And they know that they have a streaking Jared Stroud running down. So as, as Leuven briefly carries the ball to me it was reminiscent initially of the first goal where he crosses it long and when he does it this time you know it seemed honestly like the the vancouver keeper uh hassal actually tried to play the ball this time he knew what was happening with the cross and so when hassal kind of tried to play that you had the two defenders uh blackman and Luis martins who were both covering jared stroud both on him and it just so happened that Blackman got to the ball first and tried to head the ball away. And I would venture to guess that in a typical scenario where Leuven hasn't scored that first goal and proven his danger for the cross, Hassal might not have, have moved and drifted so far to his left to try to prevent anything from happening that post. He might have not respected him. He might have stayed centrally and hoped that his defenders can do the job. Instead, you had the the worst case scenario for Vancouver, which is Blackman headed the ball in the middle of the net. Yeah, he was handing it back to uh, to Hassel, and that's a miscommunication between Hassel and Blackman. But at the same time, what you're saying, like the way the the game went and Lubin being so dangerous, uh, made Hassel think twice, and he said, "Okay, I'm gonna go for it." and an unfortunate miscommunication with Blackman, but at the same time, it's a mistake that City created, that Lewin created. And um, Jerry Stroud was there too, so you, you will not know what will have happened if he had gotten to that ball. So, so yeah, you have to give credit to City, regardless of what happened between Blackmon and Hassel, but um, that that goal came at a great moment because for the last 10, 15 minutes, Vancouver had been pushing uh, mm-hmm. a few minutes earlier is when when Lucas Barlett had that block shot. Uh, there was also a chance from um, Simon Betcher um, yeah. that he tried to uh, pass it to Gold instead of trying to shoot. Uh, that could have been a, a game changer too. But it came at a great moment right before the half when when Vancouver was pushing and then you go into a half 
two to nothing instead of one to nothing. Um, that was a great result for for City at that point. Yeah, it gives a lot less stress going into it. A lot of uh, a lot more flexibility and options that St. Louis had, and a lot more desperation from Vancouver. Uh, the the last thing I'll say on that goal is a comment that Indiana Vasilev had after the game, saying, "I definitely do think that we create our own luck. It just all came from playing vertically instead of playing the short pass, which is just something that we talked about during the past week. Obviously, the center back headed into his own goal, and it ultimately was a miscommunication. But I think we definitely create our own luck, and that." I like to highlight that, Santi, because that speaks to the impact that Leuven had and the adjustment that Hassel had to make. And City consistently putting themselves in positions to make the oppositions make mistakes. I was talking with Brendan Weesey on the Big 550 KTRS Sunday morning, and he asked the question about St. Louis getting lucky or these own goals, these back passes consistently happening and what to make of that. And I've said it before on flyover that to me, if it happens once or twice, you could say, okay, it was, it was, it was luck. You know, we didn't do anything necessarily on our own. And it was the opposition just making a boneheaded mistake and losing focus. But when it's happening so consistently, you're, you're continuing to add evidence to the bucket here that it's St. Louis who is forcing these types of mental lapses, these mistakes by the actions we have on the field by the positions we're putting ourselves in and the consistent pressure in various ways that we're putting on the opposition today it was or saturday night rather it was edu leuven doing the yeoman's work on that front but before you've had nico joachini you've had indiana vasilev before that you had klaus you have guys who are always in positions to make the opposition do something they're not comfortable with or change tactically things that they otherwise wouldn't need to do and their teammates aren't adjusting well to it so that that to me says a lot. And then as you go into the second half, you see some of these adjustments that Vancouver begins to make. You see the substitutions start to take hold. You see after Leuven had almost another, he had multiple free kicks in the game. But the beginning of the second half, Jared Stroud almost had a goal that went off the post from another Leuven free kick. So more dangerous Leuven activity from set pieces. And then it became a lot of sort of chasing subs because in the second half you see guys like brian white come on you see sergio cordova come on you see andres cubas come on and the complexion changes for vancouver where their a team more or less is in the game you're getting you're subbing off betcher and, and sebastian berhalter you're you're getting fresh legs you're playing the fixture congestion that vancouver has to play and this is the opportunity vancouver has to get themselves into it and this is also the moment that bradley carnell i think noted that they had 10, 15, 20 minutes of lapses there in the second half where Vancouver's pressing the ball more. And the chasing I saw St. Louis do before the goal was scored by Brian White on Vancouver were change up their formations. It began with the first sub at the 63rd minute, Johnny Nelson coming in for Jake Nerwinski, who almost picked up a second yellow. And that, I think, is the full reason why the sub occurred. But seeing Johnny Nelson come in moves Kyle Hebert over to right back. Nelson takes his left back role. And then there in the 72nd minute after Cordova, after Cuba's come on, we shift entirely subbing out Jared Stroud, subbing out Celio Pompeu and putting in Tomas Ostrak, Miguel Perez. Our, our formation shifts to defensive heavy and we drop into a three center back with Hebert moving to the left center back role. Hebert, Parker, Bartlett, and you have Nelson and Jabulu Blome as a right wing back. What did you make of that second half in whether it's Vancouver's subs, their attacking mindedness or our formation change? 
Well, Vancouver definitely went for it with with the substitutions, uh, putting uh, Sergio Cordova and and Cubas, um, two of their designated players. That obviously, due to the fixture congestion, um, they they didn't start, but they went for it. They knew they were down two goals and basically put all the attacking talent that they had on hand. Also, Brian White uh, went in for uh, Simon Betcher. And uh, at that point, it was them um, pushing and, and trying to get that that first goal at least. Uh, it came a little late, but still, um, you had 10, 15 minutes if you include a stoppage time. And um, yeah, I, I know it was disappointing uh, what Bradley Carnell said, that it was disappointing that um, they went out of their principles. But I think part of it was caused by Vancouver um, because they, they were choosing their moments to press and, and to also play vertically. So um, so you have to you have to give credit to Vancouver too, that even down two goals, they they went for it and, and look for at least that first goal that will give them a chance to uh, equalize the game. But um, that look with a three in the back, uh, we have seen that before. And um, Bradley Carnell uh, has said it before that that's just another weapon the team has. Um, that is a formation they they are not afraid to use, even if it's not used that often. And um, again, that will be interesting when when Joachim Nilsson is back. We'll probably see more of that, and that's something the team will use at times. And we'll see it between games. Maybe uh, we don't see it as oh, that's the starting lineup. But I, I like the way Bradley Carnell makes adjustments during the game based on what the other teams are, are presenting. And at that point, he considered, okay, I have to go more defensive. And then Miguel Perez came with a defensive um, responsibility. But at the end, uh, he scored that goal that we will talk about soon. Yeah, and when Vancouver scored their first goal, coming off the heels of our substitutions and formation changes, the interesting thing, looking back on it and seeing why we put in who we put in and hearing Carnell quote after the match saying that, uh, yeah, we knew if you could see where Gressel was hanging out, Julian Gressel, he's the supplier of the deliveries, right? So we tried to flatten out in the five, which means by me and our principals and my profile as a coach never means passive. And some of the frustration that the boys are sharing right now. So for us, it's always about releasing with the outside backs, those wing backs. It's no longer a back four line. It's a wing back job now. So the wing back, and this is this was key to me, Santi. The wing back has to defend forwards and block crosses, and that's the one thing that gave me a little bit of frustration. That we're a little bit too passive and not relying on our principles, not being brave enough to defend forwards, and thinking we can just defend a 2-0 scoreline. I don't want to say he was talking directly to Johnny Nelson with that quote, but the goal that occurred at the 83rd minute after he had put in that that formation change is just as we just talked about, Julian Gressel being dangerous in 1v1s and with his distribution. So after Julian Gressel received a pass on Vancouver's right side, carrying it deep, he was 1v1 against Johnny Nelson. He got himself into a great position to send in a cross. The cross landed about, I'd say, three yards out from the keeper, and Brian White managed to find it just over and in between both Tim Parker and Lucas Bartlett. When he headed it home, that... Julian Gressel created chance is exactly what Carnell had game plan for. So the way I read it is that the tactics were sound. He knew exactly what they needed to defend. Carnell did. 
The problem was the execution of it. So the 1v1 where Johnny Nelson gave up space to get to Julian Gressel to let him carry the ball that deep and and not not push onto him to try and prevent the ball from even getting near the end line to where Gressel could have a, an easier, better cross. That was the failure of the, the, the wing backs and the three-man back line. It wasn't necessarily the shape itself because up until then, the shape itself had been preventing those kinds of chances. And it it is in a lot of ways unfortunate for St. Louis that the thing they knew they needed to game plan for down to the player is what killed them. Yeah, yeah. And on that play, um, Julian Gressel got a lot of space and he was able to to make that cross um, for to Brian White. But yeah, um, it's too bad that it happened when, when that switch information happened. It's too bad for John Nelson that had just come into the game a few minutes earlier. And um, one thing I was thinking is during, if, if during their game planning, Vancouver also thought that John Nelson was was going to start because a lot of their attacks during the game um, during the first half were um, on on the left side with Heaver there and I think they were game planning for for John Nelson but they found themselves yeah. um, going um, against Heaver but uh, then on the second half you you saw finally um, one play where they had a space and they were able to cross it uh, but yeah it's too bad that. Um, Nelson and and the defense gave so much space to uh, Vancouver on that play. But fortunately, just a few minutes later, while we still had a two one win that we were nursing and trying to trying to essentially park the bus is the way I, I saw our offense go. I think Phil is the one who tweeted out at one point it looked like we were running a six four zero formation where everybody was dropped back to a certain point. Uh, we had another chance creation in our attacking end in stoppage time. Another Edu Leuven free kick that started it off. So he had a free kick in a pretty dangerous spot just outside the box centrally. He bounced off the keeper right away. Tomas Ostrak, one of our subs, pounced on it in the right side in a way that he has done before. Ostrak able to able to read the situation very quickly, put himself in position to create another chance. When Ostrak pounced on it, he sent the ball to the middle. It was tipped by Hassel very quickly, landed at the feet of Miguel Perez. And as a graduation gift to himself, Miguel Perez scored his first ever MLS goal just two days after graduating high school. That was so amazing to see. Uh, and you could, he was, he was also like really surprised, like when he saw he went in, but, uh, just right before that happened, uh, obviously city had that free kick opportunity. And I was talking, um, with Hector on the broadcast, I was like, do you think he will, he will shoot it? Do you think he will go for it? I was like, no, no, we, what we need is to, to keep possession. Maybe he needs to, uh, Lay pass it off. It to, to pass it to Jackson and Jackson will, will hang on the right, like keep the ball like around the corner and, and burn some minutes. And then Lewin said, nope, I'm going to shoot it. And then, uh, and then Hassel, uh, like blocked it. Um, but then, uh, Thomas Ostrak on the rebound and then um, finds Miggy Perez and Miggy Perez, like without thinking much of it, he just goes for it. And his first goal in MLS, graduation gift, a big week for him. Uh, it's great to see um, a young player. Uh, and he had a score in Open Cup, but that was yeah. at Chicago. And uh, obviously, 
City Park exploded uh, for the hometown boy, and that was great to see. Santi, I don't know how it sounded up in the booth, but I don't think I've ever heard City Park as loud as it was when he scored his goal. Now, we had we had games before where like Charlotte was super loud, Sporting Kansas City was super loud consistently, but between Miggy Perez subbing on and then scoring the goal, I th- I mean that had to have set a decibel record in City Park. Seeing Miggy Perez, the hometown hero at this point and and the the kid that everybody just wants to be right now scoring a goal. I love that. He said he went to his left and his parents were on the right side. So he ran over there real fast. You know, he's, he's in the moment after this happened, like you said, he he didn't expect it. And so he didn't know where to go. Just having this opportunity in front of the home crowd for his first ever MLS goal. It's almost indescribable. Yeah, it was amazing. And, uh, it's not, it's not like oh he the hometown kid scored a goal in garbage time when when the game when the game was already over it was an important goal to yes. basically put the game away and um i love that that he's he has risen uh, so quickly and uh now with jabulo blown back he's he's not starting but he's taking advantage of the minutes he's getting and mm-hmm. the team is doing a great job uh, with his development and um I think um, we're gonna hear more hear more about Miguel Perez, but but yeah, it's great that he scored and and then uh, he was on the uh, on the Apple broadcast also um, during uh, the mix zone with the players. He was also there and yep. um, was asked a bunch of questions. Uh, so little by little, he's also um, he. I'm gonna say this like previous interviews I had with him and I have heard heard it from other uh, reporters like uh he doesn't he doesn't speak much but right. he's also getting better at that he did on the apple on the apple broadcast also like yesterday on the mix on like um he was asked probably like at least 10 questions and uh he's coming out of his shell and um getting better at it so uh it's, it's great to see him developing as a player and as a person and now uh he's uh high school graduate and uh it's funny um you were at the press conference that bradley carnell so well well no he's not gonna he's not gonna have to wake up early for <laughs> high school but uh, i'm gonna give him some some video to review so he he doesn't he, he keeps with that habit of waking up early and the way he's been performing waking up early i don't think he needs to sleep in i think let's just keep him on that same path he's been going on and we'll we'll just ride that but I, I do like the stat that Major League Soccer sent out that this weekend, six players aged 20 or younger scored Saturday night, tied for the most on a single day in MLS history. Mickey Perez being the youngest of them at 18 years old and a, a days in change. So Noel Buck, um, gosh, I'm going to I'm going to butcher this name. Georgios Kutsias, Tyler Wolf, um, Kosi Thompson, DeAndre Kerr. They were the other players. Mickey Perez, obviously our favorite amongst them. Uh, one of the six age 20 or younger players to score Saturday night. Just an awesome, awesome group to be a part of. And I love that. I love that Bradley Carnell, like we mentioned earlier with Kyle Hebert, is clearly showing an eye towards developing and sticking with a player like this, no matter who else is on the field. You mentioned Jabulu Blom coming back. That hasn't stopped Miggy Perez from getting time. We'd wondered how they would handle the midfield. And if you're looking to Miggy Perez getting a little more of a cushion 
so to speak, as opposed to being needed to run out and start the game and play almost 90 every minutes because of depth issues or injuries or whatever the concern is, you're getting to use him more targeted, more tactically. And seeing him come on late in the game, playing less than 20 minutes, seeing the impact that he still had and the way that we can be flexible using him. So after he came on, that was part of the the, the shift change, the tonal change that we had dropping back. So he only played... 18 minutes and and change with stoppage. But the impact that he had in the midfield, allowing Blom to move over to the right, giving Blom flexibility to move over across the field, giving Leuven flexibility to do what he needs to do, and still keeping Indiana Vasilev in the attack, where at this point he's proven pretty indispensable in what he can create up there. All of it, all of it works so cohesively and works so well together that you're just you love seeing the development so far, and you love to see where Miggy Perez has has landed just 13 games into the season. Yeah, yeah, and as I said, we're going to continue hearing from him. He's going to continue getting minutes, and um, as the schedule gets congested again, he'll probably see some stars. But yeah, it gives the team a lot of flexibility when, when it needs to make adjustments, like what it did yesterday, putting Jabulo Blom as a right wing back, and then you have... Miguel Perez uh, as a six, so um, that's great to see. It's great to see that he's developing so quickly, and um, now he and he's he surpassed that a few games ago. But it's amazing to see that he has played more games, more minutes this year than what he played in MLS Next Pro last year. That that's a wild stat, and you're right because thinking back on it, the academy kids weren't used a ton in Next Pro, and so his his growth and development in that regard is if it can be believed more impressive than Kyle Hebert's, which there's no competition in that regard, but it's great to see that level of growth and development happen in such a quick time. Now, Santi, before we get into some of the, the player of the game real quick, some of the fun facts, uh, I know we're going a little long, but I do want to get into some of the, some of the game stats that lead into some quotes that were interesting post game from Vancouver head coach Vanni Sartini. So I'm going to set the stage with the team stats. St. Louis had 38% possession in that game, Vancouver 62. St. Louis had 327 passes attempted, Vancouver had 557. They're possessing the ball a lot and we knew that 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 would be a successful factor for St. Louis. St. Louis had 6 of 15 shots on target, Vancouver had 2 of 12 shots on target playing into a lot of the clearances, playing into a lot of the blocks and the the ways we were able to put pressure on there for our back line. But some of the physical areas, St. Louis had 11 fouls called on them. Vancouver had 12, right? So just one difference there. St. Louis had four yellow cards. Vancouver had three. From a, from a physicality perspective too, St. Louis had 11 tackles. Vancouver had 16. St. Louis had 10 interceptions. Vancouver had six. St. Louis had 35 clearances and Vancouver had 31. So a pretty even matchup as far as uh, who's, who's doing some tackling, the clearances, pretty even matchup when it comes to the fouls called and the cards given, right? So let's, yes. look, at a, let's look at a quote that Vanny Sartini had. And this one's kind of lengthy, but stick with me here. He said this post-game to reporters, and it has been eaten up by the Vancouver media. Sartini says, quote, It's hard to win when the other team has 12 men. So that's the initial thought. If we don't receive a letter from the league that apologizes for the shameful performance of the referee, it's something that the league can do and should do because it's for the good of the, for the, good of the league 
because we export this product away. He goes on to say, and then there's something that is completely shameful, unfortunately shameful, because it looks like the referee was a player for them. It's really hard to comment on the game with trying to get into the things that happened on the field. We didn't have any fouls. Every foul was for them. Every half and half. It was always two different measurements, never the same. Jake should have been sent off. The first free kick, it's not a free kick. At the end, it's a free kick for us, and they scored a third goal. The management of the game was was one way. Probably Boyko had a bad day, meaning the referee, and I'm sorry for him. But if the league doesn't recognize that, there's a problem. And he finishes by saying, I don't want to talk to him post-game, meaning Boyko, the referee, because I would have been angrier than I am now, and I would have said things that I would later regret. I think it's a game that should be canceled because the referee was a shame. Have you ever heard a coach go this far knowing that the stats I just said were the way that they were? No, no, this is the, this is a first for me. And um, I think um, he was, I think what basically ignited this rant uh, was uh, that Jake Norwinski played um, he, where he didn't get a second yellow card. I think um, that's what, ignited this from sartini but no i had for the rest of the game i had never seen anything like this uh he's instead of a letter what he's gonna get is a big fine from the league yeah yes there's no way around that i mean stats aside even if the stats had been more skewed which they were absolutely even you can argue both ways st louis i felt had some arguments that there were some soft calls vancouver had some arguments yes jake that was a questionable uh lack of a yellow card given for the second tackle both teams had their complaints but for one to go this far and we've talked about bradley carnell our our coach's quote of if you have to rely on the referees then you've already lost the game or you haven't done your job on the field this takes it to an entirely different level into borderline personal attacks on the referee and absolutely absurd comments about the game needing to be canceled yeah yeah that's that's crazy and and again as as you mentioned bradley carnell has said if, if you are relying on a call from a referee you are not doing enough and and yeah there is frustration from sartini uh probably frustration too because they they had the ball so much and and didn't create um, enough chances but but hey, sometimes it goes your way, sometimes it doesn't, uh, but you shouldn't be relying on that and it's going to get a, a big fine from the league. But yeah, I had never seen like somebody like go at it uh, for so long with so many comments. Um, but but yeah, I, it's just too bad because it was a, a game that both teams uh, play well, had their moments, and um, I just don't like when, when the narrative shifts into the referee. Yeah, you know, that was there's a lot to take in with that quote and there's a lot to take in with those comments. But end of the day, I think we can all be thankful that St. Louis is on the opposite end and able to look at the performance that our players had on the field and knowing that the referee didn't dictate the game for us sticking to our principles. It's an exciting thing for us. And let's look at a couple players who we can say we're the most exciting on the field. Miggy Perez, we talked about scoring his first ever MLS goal in second half stoppage. He became the 11th different goal scorer for City SC and MLS as well, in addition to scoring two days after graduating high school. Edu Leuven, uh, appropriately in my mind, was named player of the match. With his goal, Leuven ties Klaus for most MLS goal contributions on the team with nine. He has four goals and five assists now. 
Leuven has also scored the most goals at City Park this season across all competitions with five. And Ed Leuven scored his fourth goal in MLS play, tying Nico Joachini for second most on the team. Leuven ha- has a two-game goal streak now, goal streak now, tying Jacques Klaus and Nico Joachini for the longest streak by a City SC player. And Bradley Carnell had a quote at the at the end of the game that I think sums it all up with his goals and his goal contribution, saying, I think I've seen enough throughout the season. We scouted him doing these great things, especially with corner kicks. He put a lot of pace and whip on the ball and makes it a tough decision for the goalkeeper to come out or not. And the keeper chose to stay on his line this time. Fortunately, we did score on that one, referencing his first goal. And everything we've said kind of speaks for itself as to how Leuven changed the game, both with that goal, with his contributions, with his impact and his threats. So the, the before we go into fun facts related to the team, um, anything about Leuven or any other player you want to highlight? Well, just just the fact that with Jabulo Blom um, being back and playing as a number six, um, Edward Leuven uh, can play more freely. And um, obviously, he's a box to box player, but uh, he, it's a, it's different for him now because he doesn't have to uh, worry so much about the defensive side of it, and um, he can pick his his spots to. Uh, to get the ball and start plays um, instead of uh, being more worried about the offensive part of the game. So it's great to see that he's now uh, doing so well in that position with Jabulo Blom playing more defensively. So it's great to see that uh, a designated player uh, from this designated team is doing so great and, and showing that uh, the team uh, did really a good job scouting him. A lot of people at the beginning of the year, a lot of national media, didn't really know who Edward Lubin was. Now they know who he is. Now they know who he is. In my mind, he has the goal of the year candidate with that first goal he scored. He is a lock for the team of the match day from MLS. And he's the guy who, like he has been so far, is carrying us in so many ways. Now, two other notes on players that I want to make sure I call out. Midfielder Tomas Ostrak recorded his third assist of the season, quietly gathering himself quite the resume as he's proved to be an asset that you pointed out, Santi, uh, great coming off the bench lately and providing that spark in the second half, leading to some really good opportunities. And John Bell, let's let's give a shout out to John Bell, who made his first appearance for City in MLS play after coming on for Nico Joachini in the second half stoppage time. So good to see him get some minutes in, in a run in. Yeah, yeah, finally uh, getting his first minutes um, in MLS play. And the other thing um, we had mentioned when we talk about the yellow cards, um, this is uh, Jerry Stroud's um, fifth yellow card, I believe. So um, he won't be available for the game against Houston. So many times uh, when Jared Stroud's made available to the media, we've talked about his physicality. He's mentioned multiple times how he has, whether it's family in Dallas or friends coming to see him in St. Louis, he's, he's been a little more, okay, I want to make sure I don't get suspended for this match. You got to figure that this is a, a little bit of a weight off of his shoulder, knowing that he is not going to be available against Houston in the next weekend's match. And Beyond that, he can be a little more free-flowing, I think, in in his approach, at least for the time being. Uh, but yeah, that the way that um, 
that that is a very good point that I, I overlooked. And in, in the hubbub and excitement of all of this, I guess that'll mean that the lineup next week will not be the exact same as you might. <laughs> yeah. 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 You might need to look for a Tomas Ostrak or uh, you never know if Klaus or all might be back and how that might change. But Jared Stroud, not going to be available against Houston next weekend. And Santi, before we wrap it up and look at uh, where the team stand, a couple other couple other facts about City after this match is that City remains undefeated in MLS action when they score first. We're 6-0-1. We've only trailed 52 of 720 minutes played at City Park. We've scored at least three goals in every home win this season, uh, meaning Charlotte, San Jose, Cincinnati, SKC, and now Vancouver. We've scored 24 goals at City Park across all competitions. City SC is now 7-2-0 at City Park and 5-2-0 at home in MLS play. So the thing the thing all this goes to is City Park is the fortress, truly, that they intend for it to be. So knowing that we've scored so many goals, knowing that we have, we have so many uh, wins to hang our hats on at home, this is something that I think we can be excited about, among all the other things to be excited about going into next week. And City SC's 29 goals on the season are currently tied with Atlanta United for most in MLS. We have a plus 15 goal differential, which leads MLS right now. And we're, we've moved up to second place in the West. I mean, there's not a whole lot more that can be said other than a convincing, another convincing win at City Park. The only thing I want to add is that now City has doubled the expected number of wins that um, some media were expecting from them. Yes, they have those four total wins on the season. We can we can pull the receipts from uh, the Athletic, from MLSsoccer.com. We uh, we've doubled it, thirteen games in. Let's see where where we can go from here. But as we wrap up, Santi, looking at Vancouver has now dropped to eighth in the West. They're still in a playoff spot, seventeen points, falling to four, five, and five on the year. St. Louis, like I said, has risen up to second in the West now and improves to eight, four, and one. Eight wins, four losses, one draw, because that's how MLS likes to write it. They have 25 points on the year, and they're tied with LAFC for second, but do have the tiebreaker in goals scored, 29 to 23. As far as games in hand, we have two games in hand on first place Seattle, who we only trail by one point, and LAFC, who's tied with us, do have one game on hand on us. Very tight race between three of the teams that are showing themselves to be elite, St. Louis, Seattle, and LAFC in the Western Conference. And boy, does it feel good to say that after uh, the the run of form we had in April, bouncing back to be in this position, kind of putting a lot of the doubters to rest for the time being in how we're able to answer, rally, and learn from things that have happened to us in the past. And the next time in that St. Louis and Vancouver will meet each other, will be in October, October 4th, the final road game the city has and the second to last overall game we're going to play. So just like Kansas City, we're not going to see Vancouver for a while. And when we do, we're going to have a lot of different things to talk about. I have no doubt. Yeah, hopefully um, cities is still up there in the standings and I'm play, playing for hopefully a home, like a home game in the playoffs. Uh so yeah, it'll be a while before these two teams meet again. So maybe by then uh, Sartini's frustration will <laughs> go down a little bit and uh, it'll probably be a different game. Um, Vancouver will probably have uh, all the regular starters. Uh, we, we spoke a little bit about this fixture congestion. Uh, something I wanted to add um, about um, the goalie that started yesterday. So yeah, 
one thing is the fixture congestion, but one thing uh, when I was watching the game this morning, I was watching the the Apple broadcast in Spanish, and Jaime Macias mentioned that that one of the reasons that could be one of the possible reasons is that um, the reason why Takaoka didn't start and they start started a uh, Holland is because. Um, for the Canadian Championship, they have they need to have three Canadian-born players on the field, uh, and and the goalie is one of them. Um, so he basically said they need to start to start him in some games so he comes to the championship in form. Because um, remind me the, the player that got injured midweek. Um, he's Canadian too. So Ali Ahmed. Yeah, so basically what Jaime Macias was saying was like Ahmed would probably not be available for that Canadian championship game. Yeah. So they need to put uh, this the goalie as the third player, and that may be one of the reasons why he started yesterday. That's some great insight, Santi. I had no idea they were playing with those cards. And you're right, yeah. Ahmed is not likely to play for the Canadian championship after suffering that injury uh, where he had a concussion, uh, had to go to the hospital CT. So he's recovering well, but fascinating that they needed to run him out to get him in form for that match. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe Ahmed will be back, but I think that's, that's part of it. Yeah. You have the fixture congestion, but at the end of the day, um, it ended up, uh, being, uh, it ended up impacting the results since, uh, he was yeah. involved on, on every goal and impacted it positively for us. Santi, I think we've said all that we can say about this match. Anything you want to add? No, no. Hopefully, uh, City can continue making City Park a fortress. Next week uh, could be uh, the first time that City wins three in a row in a row at um, in a row at City Park. So, um, looking forward to that, and we will review that on Flyover Footy on on Thursday, and we will talk more about it. But it's great to see that City Park is becoming a fortress. You said it. And putting that to the test next week against Houston, hopefully we have more records and, and breaking news and breaking records to talk about. Santi, thanks for joining me. As always, my name has been Matt Baker, and we appreciate you spending some time with us here on Flyover Fallout. If you've liked what you've heard, we would love if you could leave a review, give us a five-star rating on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Thanks for sticking with us. This has been Flyover Footy, and we'll see you again later this week. Vamos, City. Vamos, City.